Great to have everybody. Welcome to Lindsay Lane North, whether you're joining us in person or online. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us today. As, as Will mentioned, uh, man, those Connect cards are so important uh, for us. When you came in today, hopefully you received one of those. If you're visiting with us, uh, we want a record that you were here. We want to be able to uh, touch base. We want to be able to follow up uh, with you and uh, let you know just how excited we were to have you. If it's your first time with us, uh, we also have a gift for you. So on the Next Steps table, which is immediately out those doors to the left, uh, we have a gift for you that we give everybody this first time uh, a tender, uh, coffee mug, and those sorts of things uh, with North and some information about our church. We want to get that into your hand. It's as much for us as it is for you. Uh, and so uh, we're just excited about what God has been doing in this Start Here series. And so uh, if you've got your Bibles, and I pray that you do, turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter one, we had, when we began our Start Here series, we started with God. We started trying to talk about who God was in the brief time that we had. And I, honestly, I feel like we're doing that again today, just covering a lot of material in a very, very short amount of time. But we spoke about God in our first week. Uh, that, that week, as we met in our home groups, we talked about Scripture, God's revelation of Himself. Uh, the next week, we talked about man in our Sunday morning service that God chose to reveal himself to man uh, as his image bearers and what that meant, the implications for our life. Then God went a step further after Christ came the church. And so God has called the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, has called us out of creation, out of mankind to serve his purpose. Then last week, we discussed the events of the fall, that being made in God's image, we have cheapened the image of Christ, of the reflection of Christ has been dimmed, it is, the shadow of, Christ has, of, of God has been distorted, being made in God's image. And choosing, rather than choosing life, we chose death. We chose to usurp God's authority, and evil entered the world. Uh, because of that evil, this past week, we had some incredible discussions in our homes about the problem of evil. A lot of times we put God on the hook for things that God didn't do, right? Because if we can blame God, we don't have to blame ourselves. As a result of the fall, evil entered the world. And so not just us, but all of creation has fallen. And so we experience death and decay and, and evil and and pestilence and COVID and natural disasters and all of the things that we face as a result of sin. And so what do we do with this idea and notion of good and evil? I, one of my favorite quotes uh, that was in our curriculum for this week was, we assume that good means something that we think is good. Something that we perceive in our mind to be good for us or something that we want. And so if God is going to be good, he's going to give us what we want. That is absolutely, uh, could not be further from the truth. And in fact, we've seen God work in our lives because God ultimately is leveraging all things for eternal glory. We talked about in our home group, we see one puzzle piece that we are on. 
the world, the, but God, declare, who declares the end from the beginning, sees all things, sees every piece, and sees how it fits perfectly to bring Him glory for and for our good. And we don't see that and we don't realize that until we begin to look at the person of Jesus. God is spending from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22, redeeming man to himself. Bringing about our good, sometimes through some very difficult and hard things. But we see this no clearly than in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, in Colossians 1, I'm going to read this entire passage of Scripture. Many believe that this was a hymn of the early church, H-Y-M-N, of the early church, that they would uh, sing together or recite together in order to for them to understand who Christ was in their life. And so we're going to read it together as it was intended And then we'll move on from there. Listen to what it says in Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or In heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. What an incredible depth of theology there. And so for us, in verse 21, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Father, reveal yourself to us today. Show us what has been accomplished through you, through your Son, and may we be forever changed by it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First, we're going to look at Christ's worth. In your notes, we're going to look at Christ's worth. This demonstrates for us the connection that Christ has with the Father. Now, we have spoken in recent history, we have spoken a biblical theology of Christ. 
talking about how Christ has revealed himself, how it began in Genesis 3, right? And how through the process of revelation, through the prophecies of the prophets, and then uh, made known in Christ, what we have today is not a biblical theology in the sense that it's God revealing his Son to us, revealing Christ to us over time. What we have here in this hymn is a beautiful uh, systematic theology. This is what the entire Bible has to say about the work, the worth, and the witness of Jesus Christ. Uh, Everything that has been accomplished, Paul has the same perspective we have of Jesus. After his work and ministry, after his death, after his resurrection, and now the beginning of the church, we look back on everything that Christ has done for us. And that's what we find in Colossians 1. And so let's read about Christ and his connection with God in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things Hold together. When we read that and we see the the repetition of words and phrases, I want you to know as a pastor trying to preach this passage of Scripture, we're talking about an entire series in this these couple verses here. But this we'll try to grab what Christ is being said about him in this incredible passage. He is the image of the invisible God. Remember, we talked about man being made in God's image, that literally for the Hebrew, the word image meant shadow or reflection. Remember, I brought a mirror up here and showed you the mirror and that the mirrors exist to be a reflection of whatever is looking into it. But the problem with that is like a fun house, because of the sin of man, the image and reflection of God was distorted in creation. And so as you would go into a fun house and, you know, your, your, your attributes would be misshapen and out of place and out of proportion, the world had a very misrepresented idea of the image of Christ. And so the first thing that Paul addresses to the church at Colossae is that he is the image of the invisible God. Now, we know the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. But the Greeks had another understanding for the word that we translate image. The idea of image is that it is to be the word is icon, right? Where we get the word icon, right? Funny how that works out. Their word was icon, and it literally means not a shadow or a reflection, but an exact representation of of that thing. The idea of the word picture that we get in the Greek is the idea of an artist skillfully sculpting a person out of marble or stone or clay. You know, I don't have any sculptures of me. Becca's probably going to be working on that real soon. Uh, but I don't have any currently of me. But the idea of an artist in a sculpture is to perfectly capture which good luck with perfectly capturing this, but 
to perfectly capture whatever they're trying to capture to be an exact representation of that person. Remember in Mobile, when I went to the University of Mobile, downtown Mobile, uh, Admiral Sims is there on a, on a horse and he's, he's riding into downtown Mobile through a sculpture and uh, the, the, the intricacy in his face and the horse and his, and his garb, everything was made to be an exact representation of, of Admiral Sims. Uh, we, we see the same picture of an artist working to create the exact representation of a, of a person, right? And, and I don't have any of those things, but we have something today that's a quicker version of this. How many of you have ever had the joy of interrupting your vacation for family memories, Busy making those memories, but oh, no, 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 we have two logs, said memories, right? So we leave the fish that we're catching, we leave the kids that we're playing with, we leave all, and we decide to get, uh, get in the shower, get dressed up, and go sit in the sand for hours on end, right? Every man understands what I'm talking about. Every woman's like, Alan, you, I can't believe you're doing this now, but every man is... Amening what I'm talking about. Because you go and you sit, and then you get those photographers that are super creative, and they decide it's a better idea for you to lay in the sand, right? And so you are basting yourself like a fish out there breading yourself, waiting to take these beautiful family photos, right? But the idea of this is to capture your family to make a memory. Right? And the idea of the photographer is to perfectly depict the family. And so based from this picture, if you had nothing to know, you knew nothing about our family than this picture, you would have an exact representation, maybe not of how we get along all the time, because that don't happen all the time, but certainly what we look like, um, how we dress, those sorts of things are all depicted from this photography. And what we have in Christ is the image of the invisible God as we have a God that's not seen by mortal man or they would die. But Christ is the exact representation. He is the image of God, not a reflection or a shadow. He is God with skin on. And so he is the icon. He is the image of the invisible God. But I believe the scholars of the New Testament chose this word image for a reason. Because they wanted us to look back on what we did to the image of God and to see that the image of God needed clarification. We took the image of God, we twisted it, we distorted it through the sin of Eden. And through that sin, all of us have in turn distorted the image of God in our sin. So Christ came, and his great worth is tied into the fact that he is the exact representation of God. Whereas man served, in your notes, whereas man served as a reflection of God's image, the Messiah served as the representation of God's image. He set the record straight. Man has responded in this way to my image and reflected or shadowed an image that is not correct. Let me show you what God is like and we have this image through the person of Jesus Christ. Christ is God's representative. 
in three ways. The first we see is in his position. Not only is he the image of the invisible God, but he is the firstborn of creation. Now, people have taken this passage, this word, kicking and screaming out of context, and they have used this to determine uh, that Jesus is created by God, that, that the Son was created by God. He was the firstborn of creation. This is what they've, they've taken, and there have been whole, uh, whole ideologies and whole cults that have been built on the idea that Jesus is not equal. God, uh, Son, is not equal with the Father. But this is not what we see here. He is not the firstborn in the sense of time, meaning he was created first, and then all of other the creation followed. He is representative in his position. The idea of firstborn, when you look at Scripture and you study Scripture, what you see is the firstborn carried with it an inheritance and a birthright. That's why you see people fighting over it in, in the Old Testament, right? And Cain and Abel, and uh, you see, uh, you see all, Jacob and Esau, and all of these, these different figures fighting for the birthright. Those, the one that was born first received a greater inheritance and received inheritance from his parents. And so what we see in here is not that he was the first in time created, but he, was, he is positionally the inher- inheritance holder of the kingdom of heaven. He is the inheritance holder of creation. Well, Alan, how, why do you say that? How do you know that? Uh, Hebrew 1, Hebrews 1 verse 2 tells us that Jesus is appointed the heir over all things. He's appointed over all things. But even in this passage alone, what do we see? We see this typical terminology, right? For him, by him, through him are all things Created, His position is the inheritance holder. He has the privilege and the power of wielding creation because he is the sustainer of creation. He's the firstborn of life. The firstborn of life. He is the inheritor of all things. He deserves the position that he's in as a representative for God. But he's also representative in God's power. By his power. He is the agent of creation. God, in his sovereignty, using the Son to create all that we see, all that we have seen. He says in this passage, in verse, uh, excuse me, in verse 16, right, that it was created by him. Creation was made by him. We talked about this when we talked about Christ uh, in the Advent. By him, it was created through him. By the word of his power and for him as creator, he deserves the privilege of the creation. But he's also a representative of God in his presence. Notice it says there, he is before all things. He predates all things. And so the Son, who is eternal with the Father, stepped down into history in the person of Jesus. And it's why the, the Pharisees had a hard time understanding, the religious teachers had a hard time understanding how someone in the image of creation, in the image of man, right, could claim to be eternal with God. So they had issues with him saying things like, before Abraham was, I am. Because the creation, he's, he's claiming that the creation is literally outdating the creator. And this can only happen if he is God in power and presence. 
But he doesn't just predate all things, but he sustains all things. Church, if you believe God has even for a second, even for a second turned a blind eye to history, to civilization, to our life, to our society, to our culture, you are denying who Christ is. He is not just the creator, but in him all things hold together. So he is the representative. He is the exact representation, not shadow or reflection, but the exact representation of God in this life. He is, he is Christ's worth is his connection with God. Number two, not just his worth, but also Christ's work. Christ's work. This is not his, if, if his worth is his connection with God that makes him capable or qualifies him to do all that he does, his work is his connection with the church. This is how he is connected with us as his work. Listen to what it says in verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. He's the head of the body. Literally, he is the authority of the body. In the same way that my head tells the rest of my, the members of my body how to function and what to do, whether voluntary or involuntary, that comes from the brain. In the same way that my head dictates the actions of my body, so does Christ in his authority dictate the actions of his church. His worth has given him the ability and the criteria in order to call the shots in the going-ons of the church. He is the head, but he's not just the head in the fact that he is the authority. He is the head in that he is the source of the church. He is the beginning of the church, right? He is, he is the well by which everything we draw from comes. And he is the firstborn. We see it again. The same idea, not of time, that he's not firstborn to be raised from the dead. No, we see others being raised from the dead in Scripture, most prominently Lazarus. But have you ever thought, Lazarus got a really bad shake in life? Lazarus suffers and he dies. And he's in heaven and he's rejoicing and everything's fine and good. And four days later, he hears the words, Lazarus. Get on back down here. Right? Lick skillet translation. Get on down here. Come on back. Y'all, Lazarus had to die twice. Twice. What we see in Jesus is not firstborn in time, but he proved his power and his position and his authority because Jesus was the first of a race of people, of a group of people, of a subsect of human history that would die, but they would never, they would be raised from the dead, but they would never die again. He is firstborn in position because he has defeated death itself. He has stolen the sting of death. And so Jesus was not the first to raise from the dead, but the first to nev- raise, be raised to never die again. 
He's the firstborn from the dead. Because of this, he holds power over death, hell, and the grave and is the rightful inheritor of the church. He doesn't just inherit creation. He inherits us as part of creation as the church in a greater extent. He inherits, he is the inheritor of the church who would also be raised. He was the first that would die but would be raised but would never have to die again. And so should we. If we are in Christ, it's appointed unto man once to die. But then we are raised to new life, never to die again. Colossians 3 verse 11 tells us that Jesus, later on Paul talks about Jesus being all in all. He is all in all for us. He is everything. He is all encompassing to us. Tony Evans says Jesus is the down payment of our own resurrection. Right? He is the deposit. If you want to know, if you are in Christ, if you will be raised from the dead, you look no further than the object of our affection. You look no, no further than Jesus, who made good on his claims to be the Son of God when he rose from the dead. That check cleared. He proved who he was through his resurrection. And because Christ was raised, so we in him shall be raised. All of this leads us to the understanding that he holds preeminence. What does he say there? That in everything he might be preeminent. What is preeminence? The Church of Colossae had a teaching that saturated their culture. The the teaching was called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism taught, among many other things, Gnosticism taught in a physical world that was evil. And because the physical world was evil and everything in the physical world was evil, the only way to truly worship, the only way to be full would be to uh, free yourself from physical attachments, often done through substances. That was Gnosticism's way. To free yourself from physical attachments, and to reach some nirvana-esque idea of a fullness of deity. And in this teaching, they would lower, Gnosticism would lower the idea that Jesus was God in the flesh. They would say that Jesus appeared to be God, but he or appeared to be man, but he wasn't really man because he couldn't be man and be God at the same time. They would reduce who Jesus was. And so as a result, the Gnostics there in Colossae had a very prominent view of Jesus. They had a very prominent view, and and, and their view of Jesus impacted how they lived to a certain extent. He was prominent in their life. But if you're reading along in your Bible, chances are the subheading of this whole text is the preeminence of Christ. Because what Paul was identifying is God doesn't want just an elevated status in your life. He's not looking for prominence in my life and in your life. Colossians, Church of Colossae, he's not looking from some lowered view of God that he, he is something that gets preference in your life. He is looking for preeminence. And the word preeminence literally means first place. 
He gets first place in everything that you do. In every thought, in every motive, in every intent, in every action, he is first. He doesn't seek for prominence. We live in a world, in the Bible Belt of the United States, we live in a section of the world that seeks to put God in a prominent status. But God has called us to view this connection with him as the church, as his preeminence. He has earned us. He has bought us, verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. He is preeminent. He is first place in my life, and he is first place in yours. Why? Because all the fullness of God dwells in him. As I told you before, Gnosticism taught to be full was to be taken away from the physical world. And, and no one could ever truly do that, right? And it could never really happen, but it was always something to shoot for and attain for. Paul uses the very same word, the pleroma, the fullness that the Gnostics sought to find through their own pursuits... He uses the same word when he says that it, was, it pleased God for the fullness of God to dwell in Jesus. Why? Why does he get the position of preeminence in our life? Because he is filled with the fullness of God. He is God. Everything that God is, he is the exact representation of God. He is the image of God. He is the restorer of the image of God in creation. And he is the restorer of my life and of your life. This idea, the root word for fullness, appears 20 times in the four short chapters of the book of, Coloss of Colossians. Twenty times we have this root understanding of fullness. Don't seek fullness anywhere else than where it's already been found and it's rested and it's resided in the person of Jesus. Not that God bestowed it to him, but because he's always had it. The fullness of God in Christ. As Hudson Taylor would say, Christ is either Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all. He's either Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. Prominence isn't what we're searching for. Listen, if you have Christ in a prominent position in your life, my friend, you are lost. You are not on the right track. You are completely without hope and without him. Because he seeks to be all in all through his resurrection, through his reconciliation. So in your notes, through Christ, re reconciliation has become both the testimony and the task of the church. Right? What did it say there? Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. He was preeminent. He, he bought us. He purchased us. He reconciled the enemies of God to become the friends of God. And in so doing, he bought us reconciliation. And so if you have been reconciled to God that is your testimony, then your task is clear. 
if he is all in all to you, if he is preeminent in your life, then your task is the reconciliation of others. It's hard to place a preeminent view of Christ, to place a preeminent view of Christ in your life and not have a prominent view of reconciliation for others. It can't be secondary for us. It is the work of Christ that has been called to us. And so let's look finally then at his witness. We have been changed by Christ. If it is our testimony, then it is our task. And so we look finally at his, connect, at, at his witness. If Christ's worth is his connection with God, if Christ's work is his connection with the church, then Christ's witness is his connection with the lost. And you, who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation, under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Do you know what Christ's witness is to this world? It's the change in us. The Holman Christian Standard Bible Commentary says this, Jesus died for a race of rebels, rebels to offer them the chance to become his allies. And I don't know about you, but typically it's pretty clear to me when people are my friends, my allies, and when people are my enemies. There's a change in the way that they respond to me and the way that they interact with me. There's a change within them. I know how people that are my friends react, and I know how people that are my enemies react. But through Christ, what he has done for us has made us right with him. We have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We have gone from a status of enemy of God to now his allies. We were once hostile in mind. We were once doing evil deeds, but we have been reconciled. The gap has been spanned between us and the Father. And then the word if, if indeed you continue in the faith. Again, we could take this to mean if we hold up our end of the bargain and we do all the Christian things we're supposed to do, then we get to be reconciled to God. But my friend, that cheapens the work of Christ. He has done it all. The word if there is not a, a stating a position of, of doubt. This is not a maybe, maybe you will, maybe you won't. This is a first-class causative in the Greek language that does not imply doubt, 
right? It does not imply, hey, if you live up to your end of the agreement, you get reconciliation. But rather, it presupposes the foregone conclusion of this happening. It it could be better translated since, right? And so in order to present your holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Since indeed you continue in the faith. What is he saying? We have no way, there's no idea or understanding of anybody who can be in the faith, who can be walking in step with Jesus, be in relationship and connection with him, that he is preeminent, that he is all in all to us and not produce the evidence of change in our life. You know what he's saying to the church of Colossae? By the way, a church he's never visited. A church he'd never been to, but he just heard about. But because he heard of the change that had happened in their life, he could write with assurance and say that you have received, based upon your witness, Christ's witness on your behalf, the change, the marker that is evident in your life, be based upon this since you will remain, that you will remain if indeed you continue because you continue in the faith. In your notes, it is our life lived in Christ that provides the evidence for Christ. So one pastor said, you may be the only Jesus somebody sees. The church is God's plan to reach the world. And so his work is in the church, but his witness is the church. It's you and it's me. And if we have been so radically changed by God, then there's no way that you can argue with a changed life. You can argue a lot of things. You can make a lot of statements. But as the lame man said, I don't know anything Or anybody, I'm no expert. All I know is I I, I couldn't walk, and now I can. The blind man would say, I don't know about who Jesus is. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. To the leper would say, I don't know about who Jesus is. I don't have my theology degree, but all I can tell you is I was a leper and I have been made clean. The evidence of a life changed by God is the greatest apologetic to a lost and dying world. And so his connection with us, his church, by the way, through the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about in our home groups this week, is the evidence for Christ. Paul's change led to the change in a man named Epaphras. And the man named Epaphras, his change in light of this message led to the change in the church of of Colossae. Epaphras went as a missionary to his hometown in Colossae and he began the church in Colossae. And in return, as a result of the change that happened in Colossae, uh, that would lead to the change in that entire region. And from there, the change in that entire region would change and would lead the change in the world of that time. And the change that occurred in the world of that time would change the face of history forever. So that we would gather in Elkmont, Alabama in 2021 and we would still be celebrating the same change. Christ in me, my all in all.
So you can't argue with a changed life. I can't argue. You can't argue that Christ hasn't changed me. My question is, has Christ changed you? Sometimes in the church today, we can make available a decision that doesn't put God as preeminent in your life, put Christ as preeminent in your life, but just places Him as prominent. It's important. Come to church. Read your Bible. Tell people about Jesus when you can. Christ is all in all. Has He changed you? If He hadn't, I would invite you to respond to His incredible invitation today. If you would bow your head and close your eyes. He's either Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. So if you're here today and you would say that you understand God, you understand what Jesus did, but there's never been a change in your life based upon the truth of God's Word, my friend, I would caution you that according to God's Word, not according to this pastor, but you're lost and you're in need of Him. For Christ to be all in all, for you to surrender your life to Him today. And we have counselors that are in this room would love to talk to you about any decision that you need to make. Maybe you've been struggling with the assurance of your salvation for a long time. Maybe you just need to talk to somebody. Talk to somebody. Try to get a handle or a foothold. And listen, man, these counselors aren't able to to answer all the questions. Man, myself as a pastor, Will, one of our staff would love to talk to you about how you can know. Listen, the if isn't there to give us doubt. The if is there to give us evidence. Since we are in Christ, here's all the reasons I know that I'm in Christ. And if you struggle in that, maybe Christ has called you to draw a line in the sand and begin that relationship with Him today. Father, give us boldness and strength to respond to Your invitation, whatever it looks like and whatever that means. May we respond to You. In Jesus' name. If you're here and you need to make a decision for Christ, whatever that decision is, membership, baptism, salvation, whatever the decision, you just need to talk to somebody. I'd ask you to stand up where you are, find this middle aisle, come find one of these counselors on my right or left and respond to the invitation of Jesus today. So if that's you and you need to respond today, would you do it now without delay, without, without looking around, without seeing if somebody else comes first, though no one else comes, would you come to the invitation of Christ? Would he be not prominent in your life, but preeminent in your life? First place in everything that you do, if you need to make a decision for Christ, would you do it now? Alan, I haven't seen that change in me. I might have checked a box, I might have walked an aisle, I might have cried, I might have prayed a prayer, but I haven't seen this change in me. And I desire to surrender my life to Him. If you need salvation, if you need to accept Christ today, would you respond right now to His invitation? No one looking around. This is a safe place. Would you respond? Any decision that needs to be made. If you're 
listening online, we've made a way for you to respond as well. You can text the phrase North Connect to 31996. And on that, you can be directed to our online Connect card, which will give you an opportunity, or you can go to our post. And on our original post, you'll see whether on Facebook or on YouTube, you can see where you can let us know about the decision that you made for Christ today. But let us know. We'd love to follow up. We'd love to talk to you, man. In, in, in the middle of a COVID season, when we can't be together, Christ can still invade and intervene in your life. So don't let this geography gap keep you from the feet of Jesus today. Pray that you would respond. If you're here in this room, before you leave today, for whatever reason you didn't move, Find that connect card, and on the bottom, there's a way that you can mark that you've made a decision for Christ today. Let us know. Please don't leave. Please don't leave without letting somebody know about the decision that you made or you need to make today for him before it's everlasting too late. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the revelation of Christ to us. Lord, it's a lot. (laughs) There is a whole lot there. Christ, you are all in all to us. You're everything. May our lives reflect that as we live, not just for our own benefit, but to see your goodness and reconciliation come to others. In Christ's name, we pray. And all God's people said.